Welcome to the This Is The Way podcast. Today I'm talking about Chapter 7, The Reckoning of The Mandalorian. And yes, Tim Harris and Andy Shelb are frozen in carbonite. Uh, We just cannot work out the schedules, and so um, the powers that be decided to put them on ice, so to speak. And uh, we hope they'll be back in the future, maybe for Season 2 of The Mandalorian when it comes out this fall, but... For the time being, at least for chapters 7 and 8, um, we just couldn't get the schedules to work out. Everybody's been sick, and life is getting in the way, and it's just really difficult to get three guys together who have families um, to podcast, even about something that they all enjoy. And as time has gone on, and um, you know, obviously this is not airing right after uh, chapter 7, Um so it, it's it's been real difficult, um, but you can still send in feedback. You got an email. This is the way podcast at gmail dot com. I, your host Steve Lascalzo, will still take a look at it. Uh, you can tweet us uh, at this is the way pod, and we still have Instagram, and we still do things on Twitch, and there's we're still got plans. Um, we're not abandoning this is the way because this is the way. Uh, this is the way for Star Wars and for The Witcher. I want to do. I want to podcast about The Witcher. Uh, maybe even some other shows. Uh, I just started watching Lock and Key. I don't know if I'll stick with it, but we'll see. Stranger Things will come out. Um, there's a lot more coming, and I don't want to give too much away because this is this is all about Chapter Seven of The Mandalorian. Uh, but I did want to update you real quick on our host situation, and uh, they'd be welcome to come back. Uh, but for now, they're on ice. Okay, Chapter 7, The Reckoning, was written by John Favreau, directed by Deborah Chow. She also directed Chapter 3, The Sin, which was one of the really good episodes. It was where we had the flight of the Mando Brigade where they came in, or I guess the the new Death Watch where they came in and helped uh, liberate uh, Din Djarin from, well, maybe that's a spoiler. They helped uh, liberate the Mandalorian and the baby from, uh, in episode three, at the end of episode three, they came and rescued him. Um so she she de- definitely knows how to direct uh, a Star Wars uh, show. The score also by Ludwig Göransson. Pedro Pascal, at least the voice, is back as uh, the Mandalorian. And I say at least the voice because we do see Pedro Pascal coming up uh, in Chapter 8. So that is another spoiler, in case you're wondering. You do eventually get to see... Pedro Pascal. Now, if you've been listening to other podcasts, you know that sometimes he might not have, and and it's been confirmed that sometimes he wasn't the person acting in the in the Mandalorian's armor. Um, but it's probably most likely by this point, 
by the by this two-parter episode it's because because chapter seven and chapter eight are basically two parts of a whole um he, he's probably in that suit uh by that time um it aired on december 18th 2019 carl weathers back is grief cargo the bounty hunter guild magistrate gina carano uh is back as kara cynthia dune former rebel shock trooper Nick Nolte comes back as Queel. Taika Watiti comes back as IG-11. Um, I think the performance artist, though, was Rio Hackford, who he played um, the bounty hunter Riot Mar, who, Riot Mar, who's he was attacking in the Mandalorian space at the beginning of the Gunslinger episode, and he got blown up. Um, so that's the performance artist. Um, you know, got a little cameo in that episode there. Uh, but Taika Watiti is back as the voice of IG-11. Werner Herzog is back as the client. And we see the debut of Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon. Uh, and boy, uh, he you know, there's something about that character. Better Call Saul. By the time this is airing in February, Better Call Saul's new seasons come out. And he's back uh, in that show as well. And, uh, man, the guy, the guy, I don't want to say he's typecast, but he's just a, a cool character. And, uh, I really, really, really liked this episode. And I, I'll say the seven and eight together because it's kind of hard. And as we talk about, um, go through the recap, it's kind of hard to separate, uh, episodes seven and eight. It, I, I do have notes, so I won't probably make mistakes about what comes in which episode, but um, you can't really talk about one without mentioning the other, at least, because it does have, you know, it's most of these episodes um, have have that main through line, right, with the child. Um, some of the episodes are kind of not Monster of the Week, but kind of like it's just a, a capsule, uh, you know, so you're done with the episode. And by the end, by the next episode, you might not even hear um, but this one is like a cliff, like it pick the next episode picks up where the, the, the one before pick, uh, dropped off kind of like, well, it's not even like one and two or two and three because one and two and two and three, there could have been some, some gaps in between. This one is like the action picks up right away. Kind of like a, unfortunately a last Jedi to the force awakens or even, um, well, no, not the Rise of Skywalker because that's come out now, and uh, we'll we'll have a podcast about that as well. But uh, let's get to the recap and uh, and tear the ship apart. Okay, so we open up Chapter Seven in space. Um, we get a grief carga hollow transmission. He announces that he's still alive, and says, uh, you know, he's trying to entice the Mandalorian to come back um, because he, he still want he, or the client still wants his um, the, the bounty or whatever you call it, uh, the child. He still wants a child. And he says, if he does that, they'll just call it even. He does explain that there are ex Imperials are still there and there's like a despotic rule going on and it's impeding the guild. So grief Karga is trying to sell it like, Hey, you know, I mean, come back and help me out, and I'll help you out, right? He he proposes that they get rid of them through some trick, trickery. He says, return to Navarro, bring the child as bait, and that Cargo will arrange the exchange and provide loyal guild members as protection. Now, the last 
time we saw Karga, he his loyal guild members were trying to kill him, right? So now he's saying, no, 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 I promise. This time I'll provide some protection. And he says, once you get near the client, the Mandalorian will kill him, and then both of them will get what they want. If you succeed, you keep the child, and I will have your name cleared with the guild, for a man of honor should not be forced to live in exile. To which every one of us is thinking, I mean, I just got to believe if you're watching this show that you're thinking, yeah, right. Uh, the one cool little note about this little scene is that we actually seen him bending over to turn off the hollow message on his end. Kind of like, I, I don't know if the only other ex, uh, experience he's had with hollow transmissions as was uh, Leia you know turning bending over to turn off r2 but i just thought that that was pretty neat that you know nowadays we we see the hollow transmissions and they kind of fade in and fade out i don't know if you've been to the rise of the resistance rides in either disney world or disneyland but that hollow transmission doesn't start with um the character who you see in the in the hollow transmission uh bending over and turning it on or turning it off like nowadays there's a modern a modernization of it, but the very first time we ever saw it in Star Wars, yeah, Leia bends over and turns off the transmission on on R two. So maybe that was Carl Weathers just seeing that, and maybe maybe it was a nod, or um, maybe that was his only experience with it, and that's what you know he decided. Hey, he said, hey, I'm gonna go and do this uh, at the end of mine. Maybe it was direction, or um, you know, uh, maybe it was. Uh, Something else. Maybe maybe it was maybe it was in the script. Um, but anyway, uh, we see the title card. Then, well, actually, no. First, the Mandalorian. He looks back at this at the child who's sleeping, punches in some coordinates, banks right, and he sets off into hyperspace. And that's when we get the title card. So the very next scene, though, is him flying over a familiar tree, water, grass planet, and it's Sorgan. From the episode Sanctuary. Now, as soon as we saw it, I was like, oh, you know, I knew what was going on. He was, he's basically getting the team back together, right? So he lands, it, the, the shot is it lands, it looks like he's landing in basically the same spot. Maybe they're just saving money and it was the same shot. I don't even know. I, I didn't put them side by side. But it was so close that, you know, it could have even just been an alternate take or, um slightly edited uh it, it didn't look much different it was almost i could have almost gotten as much as just them de deleting that part where he he lands because there really wasn't anything new to that um the then we see cara dune fighting uh, uh fighting somebody and it we can kind of we're not you're not really sure at first but it kind of looks like it's a bar fight like a like a betting like you know like a prize fight or something like that like it seems set up because people are cheering it on but they're bound together at the waist um with some bind some laser binding kind of a thing and um the the creature or the the species of character that she's fighting is a zabrak which is the space uh the same species as darth maul <clears throat> so she's fighting somebody for money uh we find out later um credits uh she gains the upper hand in the fight starts choking him and that's when he taps the bind on his and he forfeits i guess and it seems like kara you know this is all set up again just like the first time we met her it's it's basically set up to make her seem tough right 
Um, she seems to have everyone's respect, though, even even the f- person she's fighting, because he ends up coming by and giving her some credits, and she says something like, you know, nice doing business with you or something. Um, and we see the Mandalorian. She sits down next to him. She talks about why she's laying low. She can't risk her chain code being run. Uh, so most, and that most of what she's done carries a life sentence and that, and she also says, can't, I can't book passage on a new Republic ship or she will rot in a cell, which may be a callback to the last episode where we saw those, um, those three criminals, um, that the Mandalorian did the job with ended up in that cell on the new Republic prison ship. Um, she says she doesn't want to play soldier. But then he just mentions, he says, it's uh, an ex-Imperial warlord. And uh, she was like, oh, I thought he was dead or something. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. No, no. He, I don't. Th- I think that comes later. Because, but whatever it is, says it's an ex-Imperial warlord. And she's like, I'm in. <laughs> you know, she's like, she changes her mind immediately. Uh, so he's got Cara Dune. The next scene's in, in space. Um, Dune asks... If it's a problem that she's coming along and that the contact needs to vet her. And I think he says that if it is, it's his problem. And so she asks if the child's okay alone in the cockpit. Um, because they leave the child in the cockpit alone. And he says, yeah. As soon as he does that. Um, no, no, it's not as soon as he does that. But we all know that things are not going to go well, right? So... The Mandalorian opens up his weapon cache. We notably, I noticed his rifle isn't there. Um, she picks out a, a few weapons and they're making small talk. And the child, we see the child peek below, like upside down, like peek his head out. Uh, and then there's some more small talk, small talk. And then the ship starts shaking violently, like they were going to end up. It looked like a little bit that there was going to be like this romantic moment where Caradoon ends up. On top of them, but we don't see that, right? They, they kind of. I think that years of watching television shows have kind of conditioned me to expect. Oh, this is where there's like an uncomfortable male-female moment where she falls on top of him or something, or maybe he falls on top of her. But no, we don't get that. Um, the child. We cut to the scene where the child is playing with the joystick. He's babbling, and it says like babbling and child giggling. So the Mandalorian gets control, and then. That's when Dune decides, like, hey, we need a babysitter, <laughs> right? So uh, she mentions, you know, can we get somebody to watch a child, and do you know anybody? So the next scene, we see him approach Arvala 7, which is a familiar, and he's landing at a familiar farmstead. They end up inside. It's Quill. He mentions that the child hasn't grown much. And then we get some really interesting um, discussion. The Mandalorian says that he thinks it's a strand cast, um, speaking of the child. Um, now, they don't explain terribly much about this in-universe, but I searched it on the internet. The only real-world strand casting, it's got to do with metallurgy. So it's it's when they produce a, a continuous strand of metal for metalwork, like a metal rope or a rope of metal. Um, that's strand. It's it's the opposite, basically, of making ingots like the Beskar. Um, it, it maybe it means more in Star Wars lore, but I certainly couldn't find it. Um, the only references when I was searching for it, making the notes, 
was that it had to you know it had to do with Star Wars and it had to do with clones. Uh, but Quill says he doesn't think that this child was engineered and that he worked in gene farms and that this one looks evolved and too ugly. <clears throat> so this one looks evolved and too ugly. Now Yoda was, I don't know if he was ever called ugly, uh, but he's certainly an evolved creature, right? But are the origins of Yoda's species created beings? It's a possibility. I, I, I don't know. Um, he, you know, most people ironically do not think that the baby is ugly either. They think it's the cutest thing in the world. And since the show has been off the air in the United States for a while, and now it's um, spreading out th- throughout Europe. I think Disney Plus is now available in Europe as well. Uh, but there's a lot of merchandise um, for the baby. And you can't help but notice on the in the in the last couple of months all of the memes and all the pictures and stuff on the. There's no way that that's a surprise to anyone who who's watching the Mandalorian uh, overseas, unless they literally have ne- don't care about Star Wars and they're just picking up the show and being like, "Oh, what is this?" At that point, you're not even you don't even really care or have a vested interest in what the creature is. So um, everybody knows uh, how cute Baby Yoda is and. He, he's everywhere, man. And it's still not, you know, months later, it's still not gotten to be old. Like where people are like, oh, Baby Yoda again. It may be getting there, but it's not there yet. Um, so Quill says he that, you know, he's making a comparison. He's like, well, I don't think it's, uh, you know, a genetically engineered clone. But he does say, he says, well, now Dune looks like she was farmed in the Saito Caves of Nora. No idea what that means. Again, uh, I consider myself a, a big Star Wars fan. Uh, notably, if you know me, uh, I consider all of Legends garbage. I'm sorry if you feel otherwise. And I understand some people have very strong opinions about the Legend stuff. But I, because they were never, ever considered real canon not even and then don't let anybody tell you otherwise and don't tell me otherwise it was never considered actual canon it was always a a what if like maybe this could be what happens in the star wars universe but george lucas never fully signed off on any of it and so i just never paid it attention because i said well that's just not star wars i did like playing the video games but that's all to me that's all it was it was it was fan fiction um, and, and I will admit that some people have said, Hey, look, this, nobody, these books are really good. I, I believe you. Um, and, but I, there's no point in me reading these things because what Disney's doing now is all that's important. So if they take something from legends, that's great, but you can't fill in the blanks with legends material. So if, uh, when legends, uh, had Thrawn, uh, you can't take what Thrawn did in the Legends and place it into what he, you know, his appearances in Rebels or in the new comics. Or you can't say, well, I know what happened in between. No, uh, only what happens in the canon novels and, and canon materials from Disney going forward is what actually happens. So none of that other stuff really matters. Uh, it's good for knowing Things like this, like maybe there is a <clears throat> something about the Saito Caves of Nora in one of the um, 
Legends of Materials, but I don't know that it's there. Um, I don't know. I, I tried searching, and again, when you search, uh, the first and only things that were coming up were from the Mandalorian um, episodes, not from anything else. This one, on the other hand, looks like she was farmed in the Sido Caves of Nora. This is Cara Dune. Let's also point out that uh, it doesn't get much more sci-fi sounding than farmed in the Sido Caves of Nora. I mean, it seems to be a huge compliment, but you know, we I have no way of knowing what that means. Um, so I don't know if it's a compliment or an insult. Whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't derail the comp the the conversation. What sort of does is when Dune asks if he served, and Queel says on the other side, meaning the Imperial side, but that he paid out his clan's debt, and it kind of gives a little like like Dune is kind of like oh what you know like I don't consider anyone serving the empire to be you know slave there's an excellent you know there's a little bit of tension that arises because of those because he reveals that he was once working on the imperials but he makes it clear like look i was a slave and i paid out my debt and i'm i am nobody's servant and nobody's slave now i work for myself the real tension arises when ig11 walks through the door now he has like a plate of tea um, or a tray of tea, but Dune and the Mandalorian both draw out their blasters. And then, so we, you know, Quill says, hey, oh, hold on. And then he tells this story. It's a montage story. He tells the story of how he found, claimed, and then reprogrammed IG-11. Now, we just heard him say that he was working in, like, the gene farms, but now he, I guess, has, you know, the the... Ugnots have always been technologically savvy in in Star Wars. Before they were working in the Cloud City, dismantling and, and disposing of robot parts or robotic parts uh, in Rebels, and I'm not sure in the Clone Wars if they were also, you know, technically mind technically technically minded people. But clearly, he's you know everybody in this universe seems to know how to work with mechanical parts and so he reco- he says he recovered the flotsam um that was left from when um the mandalorian basically wrecked shop on that um little outpost um he recovered the flotsam and claimed it in accordance with the charter of the new republic um so that's a thing uh, you know, I'm not sure if we'll hear more about it or if there's already been more about this charter of the New Republic that came about after the return of the Jedi. Um, he says, little remained of its neural harness. Well, yeah, because the Mandalorian put a, bol- a blaster bolt through uh, his his uh, neural harness, right? Uh, <clears throat> he says that it took more patience and affirmation than repair. Um, that, you know, you could get this robot up and working again, but because of the damage, and I don't know if it's because it's an AI robot or that he wanted to maintain its personality or something, <clears throat> but he he treated it well, almost like he's tra- training a dog or teaching uh, someone who is you know who had some trauma uh, how to walk again. You know, it, it, you see some scenes of the IG11 
pick trying to pick up a box and dropping a box and and stuff like that and 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 exercising care and and being dainty. I guess he's showing it how to do small tasks rather than you know be be a brute. Um, and he says that it developed a personality from experience. So. What's one of the, the one of the weird things that I've noticed about Star Wars as opposed to like Star Trek? Like Star Trek, they have androids, and then as a matter of fact, in the new Picard series of Star Trek, the it's a main central theme about this AI. Well, in Star Wars, you don't see androids; you see droids. You do see droids, and we project human emotions and behaviors on people like uh, C-3PO, but also R2-D2. Here, we're hearing that, yeah, this is an an autonomous... Like, this isn't just... This isn't even just K-2SO that, that, you know, that was, like, created by the Imperials to do a function and then later reprogram. This this is like... This... you, You feel like... IG-11 is a person. Um, you know, you could easily make a case to where they could have just said, instead of making IG-11 a robot, they could have, you know, changed the character completely and made him a more robotic type of human, and it wouldn't have really changed the script terribly much. You know, of course, the, the certain plot points it would have, um, and it would have had you would have had a, hard, a lot harder time explaining how someone could survive a blaster bolt to the face um, for that long. Um, but um, you, you know, there's a, a, a very human quality to IG Eleven, and uh, I I actually I I like I I didn't like the scenes that they were showing. I and I can't explain I can't really explain to you why I didn't like it so much, but. I do like that they that there's this aspect of Star Wars here where they're showing some trauma and some you know it's like a wounded warrior basically, um, and that he you know he's been reprogrammed to not just kill but he's still got his personality right. Um, the Mandalorian is skeptical in the scene. He, he asks if it's still a hunter, and Quill says no, but it will protect. That his now his. His job is to protect and serve. Almost, I mean, that's kind of like a... Well, I don't know if they use those exact words, but it's kind of like a police officer now. But <clears throat> really, he's kind of a robotic nanny. Um, you know, Or he provides that function for the child. Uh, he's really just a caretaker for Quill. Quill didn't seem like he was... I mean, he's an older Ugnaught, but he didn't seem like he was incapable. I mean, the guy was climbing towers and stuff and working on stuff, but... You know, I mean, for Quill, you know, this was an opportunity for him maybe to make a friend. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why he didn't have some kind of robotic servants there at all. Maybe there was something about this one that, uh, and maybe he watched. Maybe he watched uh, uh, the the carnage um, and then came back for him. I I don't I don't exactly know. Um, you know the time frame of when he got because because we see you know after um, episode one and episode two there's they 
he and uh, Quill still have some meaning. So may, so it had to be after that that he went back and got um, IG-11. Um, so, the, you know, we haven't seen him since then, I don't think. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know exactly how long this process took. They didn't say. It just said that he, he, he retrained him. And I think, you know, there's a reason why we're supposed to be skeptical is because you don't know. Um if he's going to turn around and put a blaster bolt and, you know, remember suddenly and put a blaster bolt in the Mandalorian's head. So that's meant to be a, uh, you know, a source of tension for us. I can pay you handsomely, Ognat. I have a name. So the Mandalorian asks him for help. Uh, he calls him Ugnot, not Queel. And, um, you know, Quill says, you know, you know, I have a name. Um, so the Mandalorian's a little bit rude about this because he doesn't trust. Quill seems to refuse, but offers to reprogram. Uh, you know, he 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 says that the reprogramming is to, he a nurse and protocol droid. Um, and that's when the Mandalorian Quill discuss the mistrust of the droids. He says they're uh, Quill says they're neutral reflections of those who imprint them. And I immediately took like, I immediately took that as a father, as like a, you know, this is like an analogy or a metaphor for humans and their own children. Like, you know, just because, um, yeah, it's so easy for children to imprint on their parents and and become what they are. It, but you know. I mean, I don't think that's exactly what they're trying. They're not saying that Quill is now his father, but there is a lot of parent and child um, metaphors and analogies, um, imagery in this in this show, and so I don't think that it's terribly. Um, it, and actually, it kind of ties back in in a in a scene or two with what the child does because it, you know there's an imprinting going on so to speak, um, with what uh, the child is is getting from the Mandalorian. So the Mandan- Mandalorian does say, he says, I trust you in his, in his work. And Quill says the droid comes and he'll go not for payment, but to protect the child from Imperial slavery. And he says, one more thing, the Blurgs are going to come too. And, and then he gives his, I, I have spoken. Um, so, you know, you want my help, you're going to do it my way. I have spoken. The next scene is in the Mandalorian's ship, the Razor Crest. He and Dune are arm wrestling. And the child is visibly concerned, okay? To the point where he force chokes Cara Dune. And the implications are just, it, 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 this is huge. This is a huge moment in The Mandalorian. Now, remember, I was just saying that the child has been witnessing The Mandalorian do some violent things, right? But he's protecting the child. The child here <clears throat> has saved him from that, um, the mudhorn, right? And now he sees Daddy, quote unquote, uh, getting hurt. What he or what he thinks might be getting hurt. It almost killed me. 
everybody in the ship discusses what they just witnessed, and they like still just kind of rumors that the for- the force is just kind of a rumor. Um, Quill, this is the por- part where Quill defends his time, forcing, um, being forced to serve the Empire. This is the part where he he um, he defends himself, not before. And um, I, I kind of made a mistake there. So he just he. He defends his time, forced to serve the Empire. IG-11 kind of gives the implication... I mean, it, we get a sense that maybe he's ready to defend Quill. And <clears throat> the Mandalorian kind of skillfully diffuses a situation between him and Kara by asking for a padded container. So we end up seeing some scenes of Quill creating Baby Carrier Egg 2.0, which is 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 pretty neat. The next scene is talking between Dune and the Mandalorian about Navarro. Uh, they're in the cockpit, and he says it stayed in Imperial control to the end of the war. Um, oh no, she says that I think, or I don't know who says it, but they, there's uh, the reveal that they dug in deep. There was no cover dropping in, and they lost a lot of Rebel troopers. Um, so Dune really does not like this place, and she's not thrilled about it but she loves it seems like she loves killing nazis <laughs> you know she loves killing stormtroopers and loves killing uh, imperial warlords and that's kind of what she you know signed up for right that uh, we we found that out in her episode i think it was chapter four sanctuary uh they talk about who's control and what station um the 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 guy is uh the, i guess the client and I think the Mandalorian says that he has no insignia. He says the safe house was taken out when he snatched the kid, but that more Imperial forces have arrived. So IG-11 comes in, offers a second meal, and there's a little bit more discussion about the nature of the droid, uh, of that droid and droids in general. And then Dune says if you take out the head Imperial, the rest will run like rats. Uh, the next scene is um, the ship coming in, approaching and landing on Navarro. And Karga and his henchmen are there to greet the landing party. And I think this is one of those scenes that you, you've seen in, in some of the promotional videos and, and uh, trailers and things where Karga's there. Um, so, you know, we we already knew he survived. But um, from Chapter 3, um, when we saw him take the Beskar out of his his vest, but um, there's a little bit of mistrust on both sides. Uh, he thinks that Dune should stay and guard the ship from Jawas, um, but if she's gonna go, you know they're they're pretty set. Like, hey, no, she's coming. But she says, if you're gonna go, at least cover your tattoo. So she's got a tattoo on her arm, and apparently that's a dead giveaway that she was a Rebel shock trooper. So Karga actually gets to see and hold the child, and he he says this. So this is the little Bogwing that all the fuss is about. I guess the Bogwing is a creature, a bug or a small creature. I guess. Um, he sa- says that he sees why the Mandalorian didn't want it harmed. Um, no one trusts Karga at this point. I don't think um, nobody. Um, and we'll see for good reason, but they set off, okay? So they make camp near a lava river and presumably kill and eat a goat-like creature that they pass while they're in tra- transit. And um, Karga hasn't seen the creature before, but uh, 
he remarks that it's a carnivore because it's eating and says it must be for some kind of highfalutin menagerie. And this is clearly Favreau writing with an Old West theme in mind. And um, Karga lays out the plan, which is basically for us. So, you know, how many escorts were are there? And he said four. Uh, you sure? Trust me, nothing can go wrong. And immediately stuff starts to go wrong. All right, so winged creatures swoop in. Um, some content creators were calling them Minox. I don't know if um, YouTube got it right or not. I looked at um, the uh, closed captioning and it didn't really say. Um, <clears throat> let's just call them Minox. But it, w- no matter what it is. Um, so the Mandalorian closes the egg. Finally, he learns a lesson. He closes the egg right away. Now, a blurg is taken. Uh, and a bounty, one of the bounty hunters that were uh, helping guard Karga uh, was taken. The Mandalorian gets thrown to the ground and Karga gets scratched. Now, apparently these creatures are poisonous. Because after they after the creatures leave, the point we see that the poison is spreading on his arm and that they're out of med packs. He's trying to eat me. And the child approaches and places a hand on the wound and he says, He's trying to eat me! Which is the weirdest thing. I, I don't know. I guess if you're panicking because you might be dying from some poisonous wound, I suppose that, you know, you could make a claim like that. But the thing is tiny, and it's not trying to eat you, obviously. Um, this is actually... Now, this episode aired December 18th, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I think it did. <clears throat> I think that was the date. But it aired before... Rise of Skywalker. Now, if you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker, there's a plot point in this movie. Now, first of all, if you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker, why are you listening to this podcast? Because you're only listening to this podcast if you're a big Star Wars fan. Because, I mean, why are you watching The Mandalorian if you're not a big Star Wars fan? But anyway, Rise of Skywalker. Big plot point. Force healing. This is the first time that we ever saw it in new canon. Yes. It's existed in Legends and stuff like that. This is the first time that it was has appeared in Disney's lead canon. It existed in Legend, maybe also in video games as well, but this is the first time that we've seen it on screen in new canon. So that was huge. You couldn't watch Rise of Skywalker and not and not have seen The Mandalorian and gone, "Oh, I see what they're doing." It doesn't mean that I liked it in Rise of Skywalker. I'm just saying that this is just a very odd... This was a, a an odd way for Disney to decide to do it. Because they knew when this was airing, and they knew what was coming out later in that same week. So this was on purpose. The child passes out after he heals Karga. So the next morning, Karga's in the lead... Uh, while they're walking, he's talking to his two men, Dune and the Mandalorian. Both notice what's going on. And at the town overlook, overlooking the town, Karga says, I guess this is it. And he turns and he swings and he swings around, kills the two men who drew weapons behind our heroes. And then he kind of puts his hands up and he's like, I mean, first of all, we all knew this kind of thing was going to happen just because we watch TV, right? Um, he reveals what we all figured. He was going to double cross them, but, um, he says, you, you can gun me down and it won't break the code. I guess that means the guild code. Um, but clearly something happened to him last night or the night before 
with the child where he's like, all right, I see now. Like, this is special. This child is special, and, um, you know, we have to protect it. Sorry about all these phone calls and things that are, that are popping up. Uh, it's it's political season, and so you're you know even if you are on do not call list, you, you get you can't help it. You get um, you you get called. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so Dune wants to kill Karga because of that, but the man and the Mandalorian agrees, kind of. But um, oh no. Not, she doesn't want to kill Karga. She wants to kill the client. Um, <clears throat> and the Mandalorian agrees that he wants, wants to kill the client. They they need a new plan. They still don't completely trust Karga, but at least he saved them from that, right? So there's, you know, now we've got a weird band of people where you still don't know if you can completely trust Karga. Because, I mean, he was going to double, even if you admit that you're going to double cross somebody and save them, you still don't know. <clears throat> but the Mandalorian, I guess, has more history. Dune isn't really sure of what's going on. Um, they they want to get this. They want to kill this client, and Dune wants to kill everybody. You know, um, so they hatch a new plan where Dune is going to capture, quote unquote, the Mandalorian. Cargo will arrange a meeting, saying, "You know, hey, here's the girl that captured him." And when they get close, the Mandalorian will kill him. Quill takes the child back to the ship. And uh, they engage ground security protocols, ground security protocols, and they're off and, and, and the heroes separate. Chain code. So as they're coming into the town, two scout troopers are there and um, they seem kind of annoyed that they have to actually do some work. Uh, they run Karga's chain code. Now, they, you know, remember they were, Cara Dune was kind of worried about her chain code, but they can see that he's they're transporting a prisoner, and I mean he says as much. Um, and one of the troopers says, "I'll give you twenty credits for the Mandalorian's helmet." And he says, "Not a chance. That's going on my wall." And Dune is a little bit, you know, giving everybody the side eye. So you're just wondering, like, if at any moment she's going to explode and just start trying to kill everybody. But you know, she's a little bit more savvy than that. She's not brute, you know, brute strength and no brains. So, <clears throat> Quill's riding a blurg as fast as possible as he can back to the ship. Karga, Dune, and the Mandalorian, and the empty child carrying Egg enter a cantina. Remember, it's empty now because Quill is riding a blurg back to the ship with the child. Karga points out that only four troopers are standing guard here, right? So, see, I told you. And there's no sign of the doctor anymore, so I don't know if he was eliminated or terminated or disintegrated or what but he's not there the client is pleased he he is falling for this hook line and sinker um he remarks about the best car and about his fancy new armor and laments mandalore's resistance to imperial expansion he says the empire improves every system it touches like it's still a thing <clears throat> he says that they had safety prosperity trade opportunity and peace and then you know you you know you want a picture of what what it's like now compared to compared to under imperial rule, and this is when he gives his line: "Is the world more peaceful since the revolution?" And it's really not, right? I mean, there's a lot of upheaval, but um, he says, "I see nothing but death and chaos," and I don't 
understand, like, there was death and chaos in the worlds that they were taking over, right? He only sees kind of the end result of, like, a t- t- totalitarian uh, regime. It's like a, it's like an evil communist dictator, you know, which is ironic that coming now during political season, like, people... Um, romanticize what it's like under that rule right they they don't see that there's terrible things happening to get that rule right people die if you speak up you die um it's just ironic and uh it it just you know there is a sense you you know (laughs) i mean you know that most of the people who live and work at lucasfilm are probably from the liberal more liberal side of things but it is ironic that they can't even you can't help but in a but get and when you're trying to give a real world um, example, uh, pointing out some of the the absurdities of once you know one side or the other. There, there's there's a lot. No matter where you fall on the political spectrum, there's you know art imitates life, um, and so you can't help but draw those comparisons. Um, so he wants to see the baby. Karga says, it is asleep. The client says, we all will be quiet. Open the pram. And that's when the stormtrooper tells him that he has a call. So the, the gig is about to be up. I mean, we're, we're something's going to have to happen, right? Like, at that point, if they open the, open the thing and there's no child, people are going to get radioed, right? The, the stormtroopers are going to start radioing. So I don't know what they're waiting for at this point, but... The call, say, you know, the call stalls them. It's a Moff Gideon for you, sir, and they and Moff Gideon appears in the hollow transmission. Have they brought the child? Yes, they have. Moff Gideon is currently sleeping. Somehow, the Moff knows that he's being t- that he's being tricked. He says, "You may want to check again." Now, maybe it's just because he's monitoring. I don't know if it's because he's monitoring the situation, but let's put it this way: like. Something like it can't be just intuition. He might have said, "Like, have you seen it?" Right? It says, "Have they brought the child?" He says, "You may want to check again." Um, Maybe it's just the line. It is currently sleeping. Maybe expected something like that. So let's say it was dead, and and he said it was sleeping, and and the oh yeah, they just say it's sleeping. What difference does it make? Because earlier he said dead or alive, it's fine, right? Um, So it doesn't. I don't know what, you know, it's just a little bit of bad writing. Just a tiny little bit. Maybe if we had seen a scene of Stormtroopers going and and chasing him, uh, Quill, first, then we would get a little hint like, oh, he knows what's going on. He's been monitoring the situation. It's not a huge plot point. It's just something I noticed, okay? So the client is shot through the window uh, of the bar. And death troopers are firing into the building. Then a troop transport arrives with dozens of more troopers. And the Mandalorian makes a mistake. He uses the comm link to contact Quill. Why is it a mistake? Because the scout troopers mount up and ride to intercept Quill. Because they're listening in on the conversations. I don't know how he thought that... That wouldn't happen. He's like, you got to get there. I, I mean, I there's nothing good. You either trust that your companion has made it there, or you say something like, 
on the com link, you say something cryptic like is the I, whatever you do, you don't you don't say what you said. But he's pan you know, you just I guess you're just hoping like, yep, I'm already on the ship and then you tell him get out of there or something. I don't know. But Gideon makes his his entrance um after we see the scout troopers mount up on their speeder bikes and and go after Quill. Uh, he makes his entrance in a TIE fighter that has folding wings. That is super cool, and I would totally want one of those um, as a toy. Um, the one thing I noticed is when he makes his entrance, he's wearing a cape, and I thought of Edna Mode in The Incredibles. No capes! Uh, like, I don't... I mean, I don't know. The cape makes him seem less cool. I know it's kind of like an officer thing. Like, if you think back, you know, first of all, Darth Vader had a cape. Okay, he wore it well. <laughs> but uh, Officer Krennic, or Ar- Orson Krennic, didn't didn't wear it well, I don't think, in Rogue One. Um, Moff, uh, Tark- Grand Moff Tarkin didn't have one. Didn't need one. Um, There's no, you can't call a cloak uh, a cape. So the Emperor, you know, was in the cloak. But not a cape. Um, I don't know. I just I didn't like the cape. All right. Gideon says he wants the child, and they have no idea what they're up against. Of course, none of us do. We don't know where this is headed. We don't know what the um, you know what the plans are for the show in the future. But uh, you know, the Mandalorian again tries to contact Quill, and he's close enough. To get the garage door up on the ship, right? The garage door, the the, the door up on the on the ship. So we see that happen. Um, I think it's, I think uh, Moff Gideon says it means more to me than you'll ever know regarding the child. And then we see the child on the ground get scooped up by one of the troopers, and they must have used the bike cannons to shoot Quill and the Blurg, and that's where the episode ends. We have ourselves a cliffhanger. Quill, are you there? Do you copy? Quill? Quill? Where does this episode stack up? First of all, you can't. it's hard to talk about it without talking about Chapter 8, but this was a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed it. I liked the whole getting the band back together aspect of it. We didn't see, notably, we did not see Omera. We didn't see the prisoners, the three prisoners, um, any of the Mandalorians from the Covert, or Pelimato. So it wasn't a complete, it wasn't like everyone he's ever met in the show came back together. Uh, you know, we also didn't get a resolution to who Fennec Shand was being approached, or the, her body at least, was being approached by uh, in the Gunslinger episode. We never got uh, a resolution to that. So we still don't know. She, I mean, we presume she's dead, and we don't know who it was that was approaching the body. Um, <clears throat> so all of those are, I think, purposeful left open for next season. Um, and, you know, honestly, if you don't need to wrap something up, if it doesn't serve part of the story, I mean, leave that loose thread by all means. There are loose threads in daily our daily lives that we don't get resolutions for all the time. So leave that, leave it, and uh, come back to it if they need to. And remember, again, this is this aired uh, one day before Rise of Skywalker. So I saw Rise of Skywalker on the Thursday, 
and I think this aired on a Wednesday. Um, and force healing, man, <laughs> it just it boggles my mind that they would. Uh, there's there wasn't really any reason to include it in the show. Uh, you could have done some other force trick, and you know I guess it ingratiates. Uh, Karga to the child a little bit more rather instead of it was just a amazing trick but you could have had the child save him without healing him you could have had the like the mudhorn you could have had the child uh, stop one of the creatures right before it it ate uh, Karga or something or have Karga being knocked towards the lava and have the child force push the lava away from him any number of things. You could have done something where the child saved him clearly and he felt indebted. Um, but they chose this force healing, which um, establishes that you don't have to have training to use it. Uh, at least we... Okay, I'll I'll take that back. Maybe he did have training in it. And maybe Ray and um, Kylo Ren, Ben, Solo... Did have some training. I, You don't see it. Um, you're left to speculate. And now there's only one episode left of this show. But we've seen this child using the Force a lot, right? In, and in, some, in one way at least. In a way we've never seen before. It's, it's kind of amazing. You know, the, this episode really... I... I'm trying to remember back to what it, what I thought when I saw it. All right, so this was before Rise of Sky, forcing Rise of Skywalker, but immediately after, and I didn't do a reaction video back then. But I want to say this was probably my favorite episode thus far um, because of the excitement that it got me feeling um, for where Star Wars could go. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen in the last episode yet. That wouldn't air until like a week and a half later, I think. Um, but it was just so cool to be like thinking, oh my gosh, they're doing everything right at this point in this show. And, um, you know, really just this episode left me excited, um, for even for, it it made me more excited for episode nine, even. Um, the next episode that's going to air after this one is the final episode of the season. It would air Friday, December 27th. So, Almost ten days later, nine days later, eight eight or nine days later, it was at the time titled Chapter Eight. At that time, uh, I do know what the title is. Obviously, now that it's um, months later, but this one was written by Favreau and directed by Taika Waititi, the voice of IG Eleven. So Taika Waititi, the director of Ragnarok, <clears throat> uh, a Marvel film. And he directed another episode, I think. I, I don't know. Actually, I don't remember if he directed another episode of Star Wars, uh, The Mandalorian, or not. But it says the, the tagline for that next episode is going to be, The Mandalorian comes face-to-face with an unexpected enemy. Uh, so can't wait to, to, to get to that one. I am going to edit this one fully and then and release this next before I record the next episode. But don't hold your breath. I'm pretty sure that Tim Harris and Andy Shaw were still on Carbonite and won't be joining me for that uh, final episode. 
But uh, you never know. There's a chance, and maybe I don't. Maybe it takes me too long to edit. Um, but I just wanted to let you know uh, that I am going to carry this on and, and make sure that uh, you get all your episodes. Maybe we won't, unfortunately, have the watch-alongs and the uh, instant watch or instant feedbacks and reaction videos, uh, reaction podcasts, rather. But uh, I do I did want to let you know that I'm taking care of this uh, because you know what? This is the way. And I hope you'll join us uh, for the next episode. As always, may the force be with you. Always. Always.